Okay, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the We're Having a Good Time podcast. My name is Dusty Slay, and uh, I'm in studio today, uh, as always, when I'm recording. I don't even know why I say that. I feel like I hear people on podcasts say, uh, in studio, or I hear people on the radio say, in studio, and I'm like, what does that even mean? Is this a studio that I'm in, or is this a... Uh, a room in a house that a lot of people would consider a bedroom. I don't know. I mean, uh, I don't know. I'm putting on my Kmart hat, though. Um, so, last week, I did a podcast with my mom. And I did a lot of video. And I was really looking forward to putting out this video, these short videos on YouTube with my mom on the podcast, but I messed around and accidentally deleted the video. Don't ask me how I do things like that. What happens is I get in a rush. I download it and I go, okay, got it, delete. I'll put it in the trash bin. Then I'll make sure to go ahead and delete everything from the trash bin. No need to second check it. I've done it. I've done it a million times. Let's just load it up. And then what happens? Oh, it's gone. I deleted it completely. So That video's gone, so I've told the BB gun story twice now with no video evidence. So what I want to do is be able to put together a video on on YouTube with uh, pictures of the x-ray that I have of my BB in my back and uh, show you the shirt when I was a little kid and I got shot and then show you some home videos of me in the hospital. But that stuff's just going to have to wait because I can't seem to get it together. But this is going to be an exciting podcast. Uh, I read uh, a Bible verse yesterday and out of Ecclesiastes, and it made no sense to me. And then I read it again today, and it seemed to make perfect sense to me, which I think is interesting. And I always find that interesting about the Bible, so I will talk about that later. Ecclesiastes has always been one of my favorites. Um, Solomon, who... I've always understood wrote Ecclesiastes. Yesterday I was watching a YouTube video and the guy was like, we believe he wrote it. So I was like, oh, I had no idea it was even in question. Um, And then I'm going to talk about uh, some stories from the past. I'm going to talk about my hand truck that I got rid of. And then I'm going to talk about um, working at Office Depot. They're all going to go hand in hand. Uh, It's going to be a great story. We're going to talk about... um, you know, just, we're just going to get into it. It's going to be very exciting. But first, how about a little where we've been, where we're going. Where they going. Where they been. Where they going. Where, where they been. Where we're going, where we've been. Okay, first I'd like to talk about where I've been. Last weekend, I did one show down in Dalton, Georgia at a place called The Mill. And I got to tell you, it's one of the most fun times I've had in comedy in quite a while. There's a lot of reasons why it was good that I don't want to mention because I feel like it would make people irate. Uh, But uh, what I will say is uh, in Dalton, Georgia, it doesn't feel like 
people have gotten the mainstream narrative on COVID down there, and it felt like a real breath of fresh air. Uh, it felt like America in there, and uh, it felt good. I was going into this one place, and they had a sign up that says, please help slow the spread, wear the mask. And then I walked in and no one had a mask on. And I was like, hallelujah. I mean, geez. And uh, it felt good. It, it, it really felt good. And um, it was amazing. And uh, so the show was really fun. I sold out the show uh, for the sake, uh, you know, uh, I, I imagine they took all safety precautions and uh, had everyone safely spread out. Uh, but wow, what a good time. We sold out. Uh, it was in an old uh, mill that used to run. You know, I don't know. It was a cotton mill. My dad worked in a cotton mill growing up. And uh, a joke that I said on stage, which I, I'm very proud of, I said, uh, my dad always said everybody needs to work in a cotton mill. And he will be happy to know that I have now worked in a cotton mill. Sure, it was for about an hour and 15 minutes, and I was doing comedy, but nevertheless, I worked in a cotton mill. But it was old, it was cold, and it smelled like a basement in there. But when you got the audience in there, it really warmed up, and it felt like a great time. And it was really um, amazing. The The people that put that together, uh, very nice Christian people, they put a Bible verse on the wall and Bible verses in the chairs, and then me and Chance Willie went up and uh, told jokes uh, about uh, drug references and uh, slightly vague sexual references, and the audience had a blast. Um, it's it was just a lot of fun. I I sometimes like I love doing clubs. Comedy clubs are my favorite. I've uh, since I first got into comedy clubs, that's what I've wanted to do. I I don't have a real desire to end up in theaters. I feel like, you know, I think by the time you reach theaters, you're like, let me just make that money. But I, I feel like clubs are where the comedy really goes down at. That's where you really connect and personal. Um, but I like to change it up once in a while and do kind of an alty room. And that's what this was. This uh, room in Dalton, Georgia felt like a real alty room. And it felt like we were real rebels of society in there. It felt like we were doing a speakeasy comedy show. And it felt good. I mean, it feels really good. And, um, but, um, you know, I mean, clubs are, clubs are what I love to do. So overall, that's, you know, that's what I, I want to continue doing. But man, what a great time. We went down to Dalton, Georgia. We uh, ate a little, I ate a little chicken at a, inside, it was like a, a, a type of complex where they've turned this whole mill into like a shopping center, a restaurant complex. They had axe throwing. They had coffee shops. You know, those sorts of things, which I love. I feel like, you know, what we're doing, I'm no environmentalist by any means, but what we're doing is we're just going around and we're bulldozing, uh, you know, all the trees that we have in, in a community. Where I live in Hermitage, they keep bulldozing all the trees down to build new um um, you know, places for people to live. Meanwhile, you know, Walmarts, abandoned Walmarts stay up. And it's like, uh, I love that people are taking these old mills. I know there's one in Huntsville, Low Mill, where they do a comedy show, a very good comedy show. I forget what it's called, though. Uh, they do um, that. And then um, I know there was a place called May's Food Hall, 
in Coleman, Alabama, where I once did a show. I think it closed, but I just love that they're renovating these things and they're reusing them. I mean, uh, I always think of two ways of recycling. There is recycling where you put stuff in a blue bin, you set it out by the road, somebody comes pick and picks it up, and you assume that they're recycling that, or you just find a way to use uh, something instead of throwing it away. And that's what I think we could do with all of these old Walmarts and all of these old abandoned buildings. Like, let's find a way to renovate it. And I think the government should give us tax breaks if we're going to renovate something rather than build new. And maybe they do. I'm not, you know, doing it, so I don't know. It's like even Hyman's, where I used to work at in Charleston, South Carolina. Hyman's is an old text, uh, what is it? It's a warehouse or mill for uh, dry goods like uh, towels and stuff like that. That's what they used to use it for, and then they turned it into a restaurant. That is the way to go, in my opinion. Let's reduce, reuse, recycle, as they say. And um, I'm a big fan of it. Okay, so that's where I've been. And I just want to, I mean, just again, I mean, since COVID started, I've just felt like we're never going to go back to normal. And in some ways, I don't think we are ever going to go back to normal. And a lot of these people are acting like they're about like, like I heard this thing on NPR yesterday and they were talking about the vaccine and they were saying talking about a vaccine passport so that you can travel again, which I think is super sketchy. Um, you know what I mean? Like, I'm like, if you want to get it, get it. If you don't, don't. You know what I mean? It's like, it's your life. It's your freedom. It's your freedom of choice. Um, and if the vaccine protects people, then, well, they should be fine. You know what I mean? So it's like, but what the guy said on there is he said, you know, this vaccine passport will allow you to go out and do things. And a lot of people view this as a punishment, uh, but it's really, we're giving you things. We're giving you the freedom to go, um, you know, out to, uh, the gym or, or go fly on a plane. And then Texas, the, the governor of Texas is like, I'm, I'm completely opening the city. You are allowed to open your business again at full capacity. And it's like, they keep using these words like allowed, right? And it's like, you're acting like you're giving us freedom, but you, you, we had freedom. You took it from us and now you want to give it back. And we're supposed to hooray and cheer and clap. It's like, how about don't take it from us in the first place? Uh, and uh, let us make our own choices. Let us be responsible adults and let us live our lives. Um, this whole idea of safety for freedom, you get safety in exchange for freedom, or you get, uh, you lose freedom in exchange for safety is a very slippery slope. And it's, and it's very scary. I mean, I realize that people have been affected by, uh, by COVID. I realize that. And I don't ever want to minimize it. But at the same time, uh, let's not give up all our freedoms for that, you know, because there's a movie out there called Bubble Boy with Jake Gyllenhaal. Really great. Uh, Danny Trejo is in it. Um, really fun stuff. One of my favorite movies for a while. I think it's a little silly now, um, but, you know, he lived in a bubble because he, uh, you know, ha was uh, immune deficient, right? So if germs would kill him really easily. So he lived his life in a bubble. And towards the end of the movie, what he realized is that he would rather die. Uh, and he would rather risk it and die. He, he, he took off the bubble to give the woman he loved a kiss because he would rather do that and die 
than continue to live his life in that bubble. And that's who I am. I love, I've always loved America. I think it's such a great place. There is no country without problems. Uh, and America for sure has problems. But I've always loved living in this country. And I don't, I don't mean, oh, we're the best. Every other country sucks. I don't mean that. Uh, when I go somewhere, I don't go to other countries really. Canada, Mexico, I've been. Uh, but I respect people's cultures. I, I'm always interested by people's cultures and I respect them. And that's another weird thing that's happened is we're no longer allowed to ask someone, you know, like, you know, like if you see a person that's like Asian and you go, hey, where, you know, where are you from? It's like, I understand you can ask that in one way and make it offensive. But also there's another way where it's like a general curiosity, well, you're like, where are you from? They're like, I'm from Michigan. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. I like Michigan. What about your, your, uh, you know, your original heritage? Like where, you, because people are just curious and they want to ask questions and, and curiosity has been made an offensive thing. But I just think that um, America is such a great place, such a wonderful haven for people who have come, who've escaped, um, you know, communism and, various, I mean, people are still trying to come here and escape harder ways of life. Uh, they want to come here and it's such a beautiful place. And I feel like we're in such a danger of just giving away all of the things that makes America. And it's a, it's been a wonderful haven for so many different races of people, different, uh, ideologies, different beliefs, different religions. They're all been able to come here and live freely. And, you know, um, you can buy a house out in the suburbs and just, worship how you see fit and and a lot of that's changing and i think that's very scary because there is no country like this um i've been to canada i have close ties with canada having a canadian wife and a lot of people will tell me that canada is the same and i i can i can say uh it is not canada is really great and i love canada too but it is not the same it is not the same type of freedom that we have here and um you know, I'm sure there are countries that I don't know about, but I don't know of any country that has the freedoms that we have. Um, and it's a beautiful place. And just, I don't know what's bringing this out of me right now. I did not plan to say all these things, but just being in Georgia this past weekend and just uh, living a bit free again uh, felt really good. It felt really good uh, to go in a restaurant and not have to play this type of theater where I wear the mask to get into the restaurant. And then once I'm in there, I take it off. We all know that makes no sense, but we're doing it because they're telling us to do it. So it felt good to be free from that for just a little while. And um, I don't know, it just really is like, man, it really makes you appreciate uh, the freedoms that we have. And all right, so Dalton, Georgia was great. Had a great time. And, uh, and I am fired up. Okay, so... Uh, then where am I going? I'm going to Springfield, Missouri this weekend. Now I want to address, first off, I made an ad on Facebook, right? I, I make an ad because I want people of Springfield to see that I'm coming and I want them to come to the show. But Springfield is one word and I'm well aware and I don't know what happened. I don't know if I got auto-corrected or if it was just a moment of stupidity, but I, I wrote spring and field. I made it two words and now all the comment section is about um 
is about, oh, idiot, can't even spell Springfield right. Where is Springfield? Okay, I've been to Springfield many times. For years, I've been going to Springfield. I love it. Come, please come. Enjoy the show. You're going to love it. Um, and uh, and even someone, I, I post my, my COVID jokes. Once you, I feel like are pretty uh, picking no sides with COVID, just trying to make jokes about it. And somebody called me a COVID idiot. And it's like, we're so divided that we can't even just enjoy uh, jokes. Like either someone's offended about my COVID jokes because they had a relative that died or someone's offended that I'm even referencing uh, being slightly afraid of, of um, a pandemic that has shut the world down. Uh, so people are insane and it's so annoying. It's like, you ever have, you ever make a post on Facebook and then you're like, you're trying to, maybe you're trying to make a statement, but not go too hard. You're just trying to be like, Hey, I'm just trying to say this. And then someone comes on and like agrees with you, but agrees too hard. And you're like, Whoa, like that is what I'm saying, but I'm not saying it like that. Uh, that's how I feel now about everything. It's either like people are yelling at you on Instagram. Someone tagged me in a post and what was the post? The post was about like credit scores or something, banking. And someone tagged me and they were like, check your credit score, Dusty Slay, right? Because I have a credit score joke. And so I went on there and I started reading some of the comments. And the oh, and the, the post was basically like this guy went into the bank to get a loan for a house and he pays, I don't know, 1800 a month right now for rent and his mortgage was 1200 and they wouldn't give him the loan, Right. And I realize that there's a lot that goes into the banking thing. I, I realize that. But uh, he was just talking about how stupid that was, that his mortgage would be cheaper, but they wouldn't give him the loan. So all these comments are like defending the banks. So I typed in, uh, I've just been reading the comments. It's nice to see someone finally defending the bank. And, and I, I just, I have all notifications turned off for social media, like, I don't get them unless I open the app uh, because I don't want constant buzzing going on. So I pulled up my Instagram later and I was like, whoa, where are all these comments from? And I clicked it on and it was like that post. People were blowing up on me and they had even begun to argue with each other about my comment about defending the banks. And I just deleted the comment. I was like, none of this is worth it. I was just trying to make a funny little joke. But people are so at each other that I just, uh, I can't believe it. It's just, it's, it's, I was, I went to Home Depot the other day. And a lot of times in Home Depot, the break room is right where the bathrooms are at. And I could hear two guys talking politics in the Lowe's break room. And it was just stuff about, oh, the Trump saying this and that, and then the media doing this and that. And it's like, what are we talking about? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, I think that, right, I like to believe that everybody wants the best for everybody, right? I mean, deep down, whether our views uh, make any sense or not, we all want good stuff for each other, I think, right? I mean, I don't know. Maybe you don't. Maybe you, you hate people. But I think we all want good stuff for each other. We just have different ways of viewing it and different ways of going about it. 
And and then we get caught up in the wrong things. We get caught up in our favorite politician and what they're up to and what they've said. And it's like, uh, you know, it's like Ted Cruz going to Cancun, right? It's like, I think that's a bad move. Your, 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 um, uh, your state is freezing over and people are dying and you get on a plane with your family and go to Cancun. It's a bad move, right? But also, Ted Cruz can't stop the weather. He can't change the weather. So we get caught up in talking about this forever, and it's like, what are we doing? Why don't we uh, <laughs> try to send some money to Texas or something? I don't know. But who do, who do you even send money to, you know? It's just crazy. And um, I just feel like if we took less time to pick sides and took less time to defend things and more time coming together as a population to decide what we actually want and what we don't want, then we would be, we would be a powerful force because I can tell you based on just things that I've been learning recently, no one cares about us. If you're a regular person, no one cares about us. Like, I mean, politicians, corporations, and I'm not even coming at it from an anti-corporate standpoint. I mean, I'm using uh, a microphone, a camera, a light. I'm wearing clothes and I'm drinking coffee that all come from a corporation. I'm not saying that I don't use them and they don't have uses, but I ordered, and I may have talked about this already, but I ordered some cigars from a cigar company the other day, well, months ago. And it's my favorite cigar. It's the My Father brand, and they make a really great cigar. But you can't order the cigar from their website. So I went to a different website, and I found the cigars, and I ordered them. And the cigar said, now it's a box of cigars, right? So cigars are not cheap, but it's a box of cigars. I think, I'm, you know, I'm treating myself. It's like 150 bucks. It's a lot of cigars. It would last me for a really long time. But the only reason I say is like, for me, that's a pretty decent purchase. Like, I feel like, you know, some people are probably buying thousands of dollars worth of cigars. But for me, that's a pretty decent purchase. So, but they say, hey, these cigars are on back order. They're going to take a while. So I go, great. I'll just order them now and I'll wait. So a couple of months go by. I don't hear anything from them. Not a big deal. I'm not in a hurry. I knew they were on back order. So I contacted them and I said, hey, Uh, no rush, but I'm just trying to get an ETA on when these cigars will arrive. Here is my order number. And the guy wrote me back and he goes, oh yeah, we canceled that order because it was taking too long and you paid with PayPal. And if you pay with PayPal, uh, it, it only, it's only good for like 60 days. And I'm like, oh, okay. Well, that seems like a bad business move right? How about contact me and go, hey, this is taking a little longer than we thought. Maybe uh, you'll want to submit some other form of payment. But I went back and forth with them for a while. And eventually I said to them, I said, you know, I've never bought cigars online before. And I was thinking about getting more into that. And I was hoping that your company would be the company that I would that I would order from, from now on. I was hoping that you would be creating a new customer out of me. But based on this interaction, it doesn't seem like you're the company to go with and I'll probably have to choose another one. And the guy said, the guy basically said, 
I'm sorry that this has happened. Uh, I'll make sure this goes to upper management. And then that was it. And I wrote back to him. I said, you know, all I wanted you to do was say, hey, we're replacing your order and we're going to make sure you're not at the back of the line. Uh, we're going to put you back in your place in line to order these back ordered cigars. But they never did it. Rather than trying to keep, I was and I was not rude to them, but rather than trying to keep my business, they were just like, all right, dude, whatever, we'll see you. And it's like, I just don't understand. And then I had uh, ordered this, uh, this pot, this thing called an itake, and it was a, a, a cook cooking thing, a bit smaller than an Instapot that I was going to be traveling with and I was going to start cooking. So the day I was going to cook with it in my hotel room, I was going to make a video. And then I thought, you know what, let me just cook my food. I don't feel like making a video right now. I'm hungry. And so the pot, this is my third time using it. It broke. It stopped working. Now, eventually they sent me a new one, but it took about three weeks to send me a new one. And they weren't really apologetic about it. They made me send them a video showing them that it wasn't working. And then they said, hey, we'll send you a new one at no extra charge. And it's like at no extra charge, of course, you sent me a broke pot. And it's like, but it's like people don't care. They don't care about your business, uh, you know, and I got several canceled flights a couple of weeks ago. I've not gotten, and I, and I don't think it was the airline's fault. But I've gotten no email from them going, hey, just want to apologize about all those canceled flights the other day. We realized that you were stuck in another city and probably had to buy hotel rooms. But hey, don't. Uh, but we're sorry. You know, they don't do any of that. But yet, oh, when, when, when COVID was hitting, oh, we got to bail out the airlines, man. We got to save the airlines. And it's like, uh, so I say all that. Not to be negative, not to be, to. it's just like, don't expect that people care about you. Don't expect that these corporations care about you. And they never will care about us until we band together as people. Until we band together as people and collectively say, this company is doing us wrong. Let's stop sending them our business. We don't have to maliciously harm them. We don't have to try to go to the CEO's house and pick it outside of his window. But if we were all like, hey, listen, we've all experienced this problem with Itaki. How about we all not buy Itaki? Then Itaki is going to go, what's happening to our customers? Oh, it's because we're treating them like shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I don't know how to do that. And I'm not trying to organize it. But I'm just saying, until we learn to not be divided against each other, which we are absolutely divided, and you can blame a person if you want to. You can blame the former president. You can blame the president two presidents ago. You can blame the president three presidents ago, or you can blame the current one. But either way, uh, we are super divided. And it's like so divided that we can't agree on anything. No matter what you post, somebody's going to come on and try to argue with you. And it just, it's so annoying. And, um, and it's hurting us. It's hurting us. We're divided by race, by religion. And, and, and we have so much in common with each other, even uh, with our differences. Like Muslims and Christians like have so much in common uh, right down to our core belief systems 
but yet people will be divided and hate each other. And, you know, uh, I grew up, uh, in Opelika, I grew up my, in my, in my school, I had, I grew up with lots of black people, right? It's like, I have more in common, uh, with the average black person than I do with a, um, you know, I don't know, than I do with anybody else. I mean, my, my, like when I first went to, uh, Arizona, there was a lot of Hispanic people in the audience. And I thought, wow, I've never really done comedy for Hispanic people, you know, one or two here and there, but a, an audience that made up like 50%, I was like, oh man, this is, they're not going to like me. And they seem to like me the most. Like, so it's like, we have com things in common with people that we don't even realize. And I feel like that as long as we, uh, as long as we stay divided, we're never going to get the things accomplished that we want. You know, it's the old adage, divide and conquer. I mean, the people that wish to rule over us, divide us. And when they divide us, they no longer need to uh, police us because we police ourselves. It's just like masks, okay? I mean, I know a lot of people really believe in these masks, but there is lots of compelling evidence to out there that they're doing nothing. And, and I think that we can acknowledge that they're doing nothing when they go, hey, guys, we need you to wear two masks now. Because if you need to wear two masks for it to be effective, then that means one mask wasn't working. So this whole time we've had to wear masks, uh, it wasn't working. And I knew that. I knew that all along. But, um, but, but instead of us going and saying, hey, let, let's get off this, this kind of mainstream stuff. Let's see who the media is silencing. And the, and the media and social media is silencing people. They silence lots of doctors and stuff. And it's like, it's modern day book burning. It really is. I mean, it's like when you, they don't want you to hear what someone has to say. It's like, and it's not political affiliations. It has nothing to do with politics. That's how they get us is they go, oh, if you believe this, then you must support this guy. And that means you support all these other things. And it's like, no, no, I don't have to support those other things. I just have to want my basic freedoms. And I'm, I've gone off on a thing, and man, I got to tell you, it feels good. <laughs> it does feel good. Uh, but, um, hey, we're having a good time here, and I am having a good time. Man, life is good. And go out and love somebody. You know what I mean? Find somebody that you don't think you'd love and love that person. Just say hey to them, you know? Give them some love. Okay. All right. So, I don't know what that sound really is, but I added it to my uh, my my roadcaster that I have here, and uh, I feel like that sound is a nice segue into a story that I'd like to tell. Wow, I feel good. I'm just sitting in it. Okay, here we go. So I had I got rid yesterday. I got rid of my hand truck. Now, I had this hand truck for a really long time, and I'm going to get into what that hand truck meant to me and the story of that hand truck. But first, I'd like to talk about when I first got introduced into a hand truck. Now, if you don't know what a hand truck is, it's uh, some people call it a dolly. It's a uh, usually a metal thing with two wheels on it and then a flat kind of scooper and you can slide it under a box and then you can tilt it back and then you can easily roll a heavy box around with you. 
Um, and after, uh, as if you've listened to the podcast, you know that I tried to join the army and then I got, I got, uh, arrested, uh, and never made it into the army. And so I moved into, I had already bought the trailer. Oh, I guess in between the time of getting arrested, it, it doesn't matter. I had bought the trailer that I grew up in for a thousand dollars and so I got arrested, I wasn't getting into the army, and I decided to move into the trailer. And so uh, I moved in there, I was working there, and I was, I was living there, and then I was working at Office Depot, which is where I was first introduced to a hand truck. Now I spent about two years, I think, working at the Office Depot in Opelika. And uh, I was a stalker when I first got there, Oh, I was a stalker at Office Depot. I don't know if you heard that burp. I'll try to delete that out. Um, and that's where I was using a hand truck. I had a little, I had a little weight belt that I had, like the suspenders that goes around the thing, because I was lifting a lot of stuff, and I'd be, you know, putting those big boxes of paper on the pallet jack and bringing it, or, or, or the hand truck and bringing it around front, and I was doing all kinds of stuff like that. I was the you know, stalker, and then there was a computer guy, and then there was a furniture person, and I would go in, sometimes on drugs, and I would stock the, the pen aisle. The pen aisle was always a great place to go if you were, you know, doing a little CBD and uh, were feeling a bit paranoid. Uh, I would just go immediately to the pen aisle, and I would really get into stocking the pen aisle because I could put my focus into that and be away from the people. Uh, but as time went on, uh, the furniture lady, uh, she quit, and Office Depot didn't hire a furniture person. I just became the stalker slash furniture person. Sometimes the computer guy wouldn't be there or wouldn't be doing his job, so I would then become the stalker slash furniture person slash um, slash computer guy, which I didn't really know anything about computers, but what I learned about retail is that if you start reading the back of the boxes – you'll know a little bit about the products. And when people come in, all they want you to do basically is tell them that that's the thing they need to buy. They're like, should I buy this one or this one? Go this one. And they'll go, thank you, man. I appreciate that. And you're like, I don't know, but they don't know either. So I started working there. I remember there was a guy named John that worked there and John was old and he, like, like, I mean, old, like to me, I was in my late teens, early twenties, probably 19 or 20, and John was probably f late 50s, but he was, um, uh, he had been in a band, he was a drummer, he said he was a drummer in a big band and swing band, and he had really greasy hair, really bad teeth, he s had had a heart attack, uh, and when I first met him, he had just had a heart attack and had to quit smoking, but as time went on, he slowly got back into smoking and was smoking more and more. And he always smelled like cigarettes. I smoked too. So I think if you're also a smoker and you can smell somebody smelling like cigarettes, then they smoke a lot. And then he would always have like these kind of lesions on his arm. And I'm not making fun of this guy. I'm just remember. Last night I was writing this stuff down. And I was just remembering this guy. And he lived in a motel. 
And I don't know what was going on with him. I'd like to know more about him. But he said he was a really good drummer. I remember one time we were talking about the Beatles, and he was saying how not good of a drummer Ringo Starr was. And he said, I could drum circles around Ringo Starr. And I don't know if that's true or not, but I always felt like that was a bold claim uh, for a guy who also has the same position as me. Um, but eventually John disappeared. I don't know what happened to him. And there was a guy who worked in the receiving department. He was the receiving manager. I'm not going to use his real name. I'm going to call him Ronald. And Ronald was a Christian guy, but one of the most annoying people I'd ever met. He, overall, he was a good guy, but he was real like anal retentive about things and like in a weird way. And he felt very important because he was a manager and the manager title goes to people's heads so fast. They get a little power and they're like, ah, I can't. And that's why I don't trust a single politician because the moment people get a little power, they go nuts with it. And I can't imagine... I mean, I've seen my friends go from servers to restaurant managers and their whole personality change. So I can't imagine what kind of power a governor feels. So Ronald was real annoying. But one day Ronald's position went away. The receiving manager was no longer a position, but they wanted to keep Ronald in a management position. So they asked me would I want to take over the receiving duties. It wasn't a pay raise. But it was uh, different hours, and it seemed like, you know, it's a bit of a promotion, even though I don't make more money. So I was like, yeah, I'd like to do that. So I started coming in at 6 a.m., uh, which was great for me at the time because I like to go to work uh, high. And uh, so uh, 6 a.m. is perfect for that because no one knows you're high. They just think you're sleepy. So I would get up at... 5 a.m. Take a shower, have a little bit of have a little bit of CBD, and then I'd uh, head on into work. <clears throat> and then I would get to work, and the truck would arrive, and I would get on the forklift, and I would unload the pallets. And then um, I remember this one driver. He would come from Atlanta, uh, probably black guy around my age, had dreads. Uh, the reason I say he's black, because I also wanted you to know that he had dreads and I know there's this real thing against white dudes with dreads. So I wanted you to know that he was cool and not a poser. And, uh, he, me and him would talk and he would say, this job doesn't seem like it fits you, you know? And he would always talk to me about that and like saying like that I should be doing something more what I like to do. And I always appreciated that guy. I wish I knew who that guy was now, but I always appreciated him. We would talk a little bit, and he would always say that to me. This doesn't seem like the job for you. And he wasn't saying that in a condescending way. He was uh, being like, dude, you can do better than this. And uh, but so I would unload. So I went from being the stalker to the receiver, right? I was the receiver, basically, which is an, a pretty apt title for what I did because I was getting screwed. I mean, uh, I was Roger, or, or oh, I slipped and said his real name, but Ronald got to, uh, uh, got to keep his pay and be a manager. And I had, uh, to take his job and keep my pay. And this is also what I would do. So now I would unload the truck and then, and Ronald used to unload the truck and then check things in. Now that's what I did. And then Ronald would 
unload the package, unload the pallet onto carts, and then and 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 then I would come and take the carts and stock the shelves. Well, now I would unload the car, unload the pallet, and put it onto a cart, and then I would stock the shelves. So I was now simultaneously the stocker, the furniture guy, and the receiver, and the part-time computer guy. I was doing everything, and I had gotten a ten-cent pay raise somewhere along the way. I had gone from like seven eighty to seven ninety. Um, now at the time, seven eighty was the most I had ever made in a job, so I was happy with it, but it wasn't great. And so, um, you know, this goes on. Uh, I'm working there for a while. One day, Ronald bring. Now I'm doing everything. And what you have to do, and I don't know how familiar everyone is with retail, but in retail, I think things have changed a little bit these days. They've kind of gotten rid of that overhead space. But it used to be the shelf was stocked, and then right above the shelf was where all the boxes would go for the overstock. So, um, you know, like if, if, if this pen went in this section, above that section would be a box with more of those pens so that when it got low, you could just get that box, you get a ladder, get that box down, and then stock the shelf. Very easy. One day, Ronald comes and gets me out of the receiving office, and he goes, come on, come here, and let me show you something. And I'm like, okay, cool. And I go out, and he shows me a box in the overhead. And I see it, and he goes, that box doesn't belong right there. That box belongs right here. And the box was low enough, and I'm not a very tall man, the but the box was low enough for me to reach up with my hand and grab that box. I could palm it. I don't have giant hands. I don't have tiny hands, but I don't have giant hands. But I could palm the box with one hand, grab it out of the overhead, and move it to the other side. And I got mad at him. I was like, that's ridiculous that you pulled me out of the, pulled me off my job, off what I was doing for this. Now, if the, whole, if the whole store was a mess like that, I get it. So they called me into the office. All of them called me into the office. They're, they're, they're fussing at me. They're mad at me, and I'm mad at them too. I don't care. I mean, I've always had a bit of an attitude problem. Um, being in the career that I am now and being in the uh, cancel culture world that we am, I'm a lot more tame than I would, would have been in my younger days, but... I, don't, I was never one to take shit off people. I will not, I, I don't do it. I don't have time for it. I won't do it. And the manager told me, we could write you up for insubordination. And I said, well, I don't know what that means. <laughs> and uh, I always thought that was really funny because I didn't know what it meant, but it was ridiculous. And they didn't write me up. And I think they all knew it was ridiculous. But, but, but Robert or Ronald is a manager so they have to respect what he has to say and so i did that and that that's what i did for a long time i had let's talk about some other things i had um there was some friends I had some friends i don't know if they ever listened to the podcast i had a friend brian a friend shannon and they were they were in college at auburn um while working at office depot and i wasn't in college but we were about the same age and me and brian brian started it and i copied him but it was a really fun thing to do when someone would call and say, I got a question about pens, and we would, you know, pick up the intercom, we would page, and, uh, you know, a typical page would be, Brian, call on line one, Brian, call on line one. But what we like to do is really, like, get into it. 
we would go, Brian Johnston, you have a telephone call on line one in regards to ink cartridges. Brian Johnson, you have a telephone call on line one. And that was just fun for us. We would try to drag it out as long as we could across the intercom. Very fun. And uh, we just had a lot of fun with each other. And then I dated a girl for a while at Office Depot. Now, while I was working at Office Depot, for the majority of the time, I was living in a trailer and I had a suspended driver's license. So my friend, and I've talked about him before, my friend that was living with me, the friend that was stealing money and the friend that uh, got his truck stolen, used to drive this Isuzu Rodeo. And it was black and it looked really nice and he had like 17-inch rims and he had a system on it. So I looked pretty cool. Like every day after work, I was getting picked up by this pretty cool car. Like I didn't have a license, but it was almost like I was being chauffeured every day uh, home from work. And it was fantastic. Um, I don't think I was the receiver yet during this time because as, 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 I got my license back eventually and I think those 6 a.m. days, I had my license back. Um, and uh, because that's what was happening as a receiver, I'd go in at 6 a.m. So I had my license back by then. But for a while, I had, I mean, it was super cool. I was like getting chauffeured around. And this girl... One night we were at a party, some of the Office Depot people, and my my ride had not shown up. And this girl was like, uh, let's call her, um, I don't want to use her real name. Let's call her, um, um, let's call her Andy. No, nah, no, nah, let's not call her that. Uh, that's too close to the real name, and it sounds like a dude. Um, uh, let's call her, um, this shouldn't be so hard. Let's just call her Jennifer. And, uh, Jennifer was like, um, do you want me to give you a ride home? And I was kind of into Jennifer, and I was like, yeah, that'd be great, actually. And so we go out, and we get into her car, and then my ride pulls up. But I'm like, at this point, I'm in the car with Jennifer, right? So I'm like, I'm not saying nothing. I'm like, she's taking me home. I don't care. And then she, she's like, is that that car that normally picks you up from work? And I was like, oh, dang, yeah, it is. She's like, how about I just give you a, a ride home uh, next week? And I was like, all right, that sounds good. So next week rolled around, and Jennifer gave me a ride home. And uh, we came, she came over to my house, and we partied because we were always partying at my trailer. And, uh, and then we had a good time. And then me and, me and, uh, me and her dated for a while uh, in a weird kind of way. I never knew how to date, but we dated in the way that uh, she came over to my house a lot, and I came over to her house some. But she was in college at Auburn. I remember going to her graduation with some of my other delinquent buddies. I mean, we were we were real troublemakers and on a path to nowhere. And I remember going to her graduation, and she graduated like summa cum laude. I don't even know how you pronounce it, but like top of her class. And I was like, wow. And uh uh, I Facebook stalked her not too long ago. I think she's married. She has two kids. Very happy for her. She seems very successful. Uh, I Facebook stalk everyone that I ever used to date. I don't do it repeatedly. My wife now has a podcast uh, about called I Got Dumped, and they talk about stalking your exes. I don't do it too long for them. A lot of times I'm just like, I remember dating this person. I'd like to see how their life turned out. 
And I think it's fun. I don't go, oh, I wish I was there. I, I don't wish I was dating her. I'm very happy where I was at. But I do oftentimes sit around and go, I wonder what they're up to these days. And so I'll type in their name and I'll find them and I'll go, wow, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool that this this girl, uh, who she was a bit older than me, so she knew what she was doing. But this girl who used to date a guy who lived in this trailer full of delinquents, always full of some uh, failed group of people. And not that all my friends were failures, but they were a lot of flunkies in there. And she would she would drive me home and you know do things with me and while I'm hanging out with all my flunky buddies. And now she seems like she has a really great job, married to a great husband with a great family. And I'm just like, it's amazing it turned out like that. I love to see an ex-girlfriend that was dating me at like my worst times and go, wow, your life really turned out well. It's like, it's like, it's one of those things where it's like, had we continued to date, would their life gone as well as it's gone? And would my life gone as well as it's gone? It's like, it was meant to be that we weren't meant to be. And I always find that great. Oftentimes, almost everyone I've dated, their life has gone on to be really good. And if it didn't, uh, normally I can't find them. Um, so I just think it's great. I love it when things work out for people. There's not a single person that I ever dated that I have any ill will towards. And I also blame myself for every failed relationship I've ever been been in. I do blame myself because uh, with, with uh, there's only two relationships I've had. Well, I don't know. That's not completely true. But up until 2012, every relationship I had ever had, I was a complete alcoholic, and uh, I ruined every one of them. But I am the cause of all the failed relationships I've ever been in. I take full responsibility. So um, this has gone on a lot longer than I, than I intended it to, but I'm having a lot of fun. Working at Office Depot was the first time I had ever heard Janis Joplin. I heard the song Mercedes-Benz one time on, on some kind of, my dad got a computer at his office one time and it just had a few sound effects. And I remember clicking on one and it was like, oh Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes-Benz? My friends all drive Porsches, I must make amends. Uh, worked hard all my life, Lord. Oh, da, 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 da. oh, Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? And that's all I knew about Janis Joplin. And one time I'm in there, it's early in the morning before the store has opened. There's a guy that works there who's got one leg and is a serious alcoholic. Uh, he had a, you know, he had a prosthetic and he got around really good. His name was Ricky and he got around really good. And I always really liked him, but he was a huge alcoholic. I remember, uh, Getting off work every night, I would see him and he would go out to his truck and he would get a beer out of his cooler and he would start drinking it on his way home. And I'm not judging because I get it. But and 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 I remember me and him were stocking shelves. I'm on CBD and I and we had gotten direct TV. We were selling direct TV at Office Depot. And I heard the song Summertime by Janis Joplin. If I can if I can find My, um, this seems unnecessary, 
what I'm doing right now, but somebody told me in an email, I've been trying to get through and answer emails. People have been sending me emails for a while, and I haven't been answering them. Uh, and I'm sorry about that. Wow. Summertime by Janice Joplin. If you type it in on, if you type in summertime on, on, um, Spotify, it's not even comes up as one of the top ones. But here we go. Big Brother and the Holding Company is, is the band she was with at the time. But I heard this song, and it changed the way I listened to music in a way. I heard this song that morning, and I was like, what is this? Because this is amazing. And it was on the music channel on DirecTV. And from then on, I got DirecTV at my house. This is what I used to do. This is what I used to do pre-internet. When I lived alone in the trailer that I lived in, because I didn't always have a bunch of people in there, I lived alone for a little while. I would sleep on the couch a lot of times, and I would sleep with the DirecTV classic rock music station on, and whenever, and I would just keep it on all the time. And when I would hear songs I liked, I would write them down. And then, because the internet was coming around at the time, and the girl I was dating, Jennifer, uh, had a computer and would download songs for me. So I would write them down on this paper, and then I would give them to her, and she would go download them. Or I would try to find them at, um, I would try to find them at, um, you know, the music store. Uh whatever you call that. But I'm going to play a little bit of this song right now because this song, uh, it just really changed the way I listen to music. And then I, I used to listen to this with, with when on a sunny day. I'd love to roll down the windows in the car, smoke a cigarette, and listen to this song. Here we go.
okay. I I played the majority of that song, but oh wow, it's been so long since I listened to that song, and I have headphones on, and that sounds amazing. I love that song, and so that's when I discovered that. Uh, let's see, what else do I got? Um, uh, some of this is just this is too much. Um, uh, I used to uh, one time Bill Kazmaier. Uh, used to come to Office Depot. Bill Kazmaier lived in Auburn. And at one point, Bill Kazmaier held the title as like world's strongest man. And he came in one time and he bought a desk from me. Now, this guy was gigantic. And what I used to do, uh, because there was never anybody to help me at Office Depot, right? So my mom also worked at Office Depot. That's a detail that I'd, I'd like to throw in, but doesn't seem like it needs to be mentioned. But I, I'm running out of time. For, for to keep my amount of time. And I still want to tell a whole story about the hand truck. Okay, here we go. So Bill Kazmaier came in. Well, this will be a hand truck story. Bill Kazmaier came in and he bought a desk from me. So what I would have to do is I would go into the back. I would say, okay, you want this desk. So I would, I would drive the forklift and I would find the desk somewhere in the upper part of the shelves. And then I would drive the forklift up to it. And then I would lift the platform all the way to the top. And then I would climb the shelf in the back and load the desk onto the platform. And then I would crawl back down the shelf, get on the forklift, lower it, and then load it onto a hand truck. And then I would take it and I would, uh, then I would go up. I also could run the cash register. A lot of times then I would take it up front and I would check the person out and then I would go and load it into their car. And this is a pretty big desk. And I remember Bill Kazmaier, the world's strongest man. I rolled this desk out to his car. It was a two man lift. And he watched me load that desk into his car by myself. And he offered not one uh, cent of help. And that's okay. I'm not mad at him, but I thought it'd be cool to be like, I lifted one day with Bill Kazmaier. All right, so so my hand truck, right? So I got rid of this hand truck the other day. And the reason that I want to talk about this hand truck is because I um, this was my hand truck that I had bought. In, I bought it in about 2011. And I was living downtown at an apartment. I was living at 27 Burns Lane, right downtown. And uh, in 2012, I, I quit drinking and I quit my job and I sold my car. So what I did was I had, um, in this vicinity, I had 27 Burns Lane where I lived. And then I had Big Gun Burger where I hosted my open mic at. I had Theater 99 over here. I had Hyman's down here. And I had Yo Burrito over here where I hosted trivia at. I could walk to all of those places. Everything that I did, I could walk to. But at Yo Burrito, I had uh, trivia equipment that I would host every Thursday. I would take my trivia equipment down. So I would load my trivia equipment up on this hand truck. And I would take it down two flights of stairs in the apartment complex I lived in. And then I would wheel it down to Yo Burrito, set up, and host trivia. And at Big Gun, I would set up the whole thing. I would, I would move the benches down. They had a couple of church pews in there that they had set up for, you know, for people to just sit and eat. And I would move them down slightly. And then I would move in a wooden stage that I had built. They would let me store it out back. But I built the stage, and I would bring it into the room and set it up. And then I would wheel down my speakers. I would load my big speakers and, plat and, and soundboard 
onto this hand truck and I would carry it down two flights of stairs and then I would wheel it into big gun and then I would set up and then I would do my two hour show, roughly two hours, sometimes more. And then I would load it back up onto the hand truck and then I would take it home and I would wheel it up two flights of stairs and then into my room and then into my, and this is, uh, you know, I didn't have a car. I would carry everything on this hand truck. I remember do, taking this hand truck with me before to do laundry. I would take it down to the laundromat with me. This hand truck, uh, you know, uh, really meant a lot to me. It seems silly, I know, but it meant a lot to me because at the time from 2012 to 2014, the last two years I lived in Charleston, I didn't have a car. And so I rode a bike everywhere. And so this hand truck was, you know, that was my, that was basically my truck and I've held on to it with a flat tire. I've made a couple of moves since then, but you know, big gun. Uh, and then I want to talk a little bit about big gun, just, just in, in reference to the hand truck. I mean, the hand truck was what got me the setup to get it done, but big gun was an open mic. I started hosting. Uh, the owner of Big Gun, uh, Austin, I think he's a listener of the podcast. He actually told me to call him next time I'm talking about Big Gun, but I, I didn't know that I would be talking about it like this. But it was that was my, I hosted an open mic at the upper deck for a while. But Big Gun began to be uh, the open mic that I really, really loved hosting. What I would do is I would do improv at Theater Night 99 on Wednesday. And then after the show, I would tell everybody to come down to the open mic. So around 1030 is when I would start the open mic. I would already have everything set up before I went to do improv. And then after improv, a lot of the audience would come down. A lot of the comedians would come down and we would all do this show. And I started, um, you know, I started the open mic as a drinker and I would get wasted and then it would just... And then, you know, then I'd go to work on Thursday, hung over every day, but I stopped drinking while hosting Big Gun. And uh, that's when it really got good. My friend uh, T. Mike, Tom Michael, T. Mike, he lives in Denver now. He said, I want a DJ for you. And this was before I had my own setup. He started DJing for me and it was amazing. We had intro music for everybody. I mean, it was big time. And then my friend, um, uh, I don't know why I'm blanking on his name right now, but he was a great artist in town, Nathan Durfee. Uh, Durfee, he made a background for me, a backdrop for Big Gun. So that my idea for that was when people would come to town and film their sets at Big Gun, they had this backdrop. So it was an advertisement for my show, but also an advertisement for the restaurant. And... Um, you know, uh, Yo Burrito, uh, oh, and Big Gun. So Big Gun, um, I want to show, uh, I'm going to show a video. Uh, when I make a video of this, I'm going to show a video of me doing comedy at Big Gun. I look completely different. I was a different guy back then. Clean shaven, slick back hair. Even once when I went, won Best Local Comic uh, in Charleston, I got my picture taken at Big Gun because I wanted to promote Big Gun. 
And just for anybody out there uh, promoting shows and stuff, I mean, this is what I used to do. Every month I would do a show at Theater 99. So I would print up hand flyers, just small hand bills, small enough to fit four onto a regular size sheet of paper. And then I would cut them into four things. And so I would have my advertisement for my monthly show on the front. And then on the back, I would have the advertisement for Big Gun. And I would carry these in my pocket all the time. People would be like, when's your next show? I'm like, well, I'm doing a show at Theater 99 on March 1st, but every Wednesday I'm doing a show at Big Gun. And then I would hand them a flyer. And that show really started to pick up. I brought so much business to Big Gun. I brought um, the people from Theater 99 to Big Gun, it became kind of the official after-party spot. I brought all the people that I used to work with at Hyman's to Big Gun. Now, the guy who, uh, Austin's brother, began to work at Hyman's, and, and I'll give him some credit for bringing people down there too, but I started bringing people for, um, you know, uh, for the open mic, and then they started going to Big Gun for karaoke, and it started to really become a hot spot. I mean, I credit myself with bringing lots and lots of business to Big Gun. Now, Austin paid me, and it was great, but towards the end, the locals started to ruin the open mic. The locals, I mean, the regulars, started to ruin the open mic because they were unhappy hipster jerk-offs, you know? So they would go, oh, we want to just hang out in here and be depressed tonight. No comedy. And I just would tell those guys straight up, hey, if you don't want to come... If you don't want to enjoy the comedy, then don't come for this two hours. But just know that the owner wants me to be here because I'm bringing business. So then it became kind of this thing where Austin was forced to choose his regulars over the open mic, and it became a big, you know, became a big deal. Yo Burrito was also a big deal for me. Yo Burrito was where I hosted trivia for many years. Uh, even, you know, when I drove a car, I was hosting it there, but I, 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 it went on into, I was still hosting, um, trivia as a person with not a car. So I would take my hand truck and I would wheel the equipment down there. And Yo Burrito had a few, uh, big moments for me. You know, it's, that was my first official trivia gig. That's where I was, you know, that that's, and I dated a girl that worked at bartended at, um, um, Yo Burrito for a while. It's it's a one that I wish had worked out a little better. I don't wish that we still dated, but uh, I feel like we were both too big of alcoholics to make that work. But I feel like we deserved a better shot than what we what we did. But um, we had some good times. And uh, the girl that I used to date from the Spectreside days, if you've listened to that podcast, I forget the fake name I gave her at that time. So I don't know how I would refer back to it. Um, but when we broke up the first time, I remember running into her on the streets of Charleston on a Saturday when I was walking down to Yo Burrito during the day to drink alone. I saw her and offered to, uh, I said, hey, you want to go drink? And we drank together, had a few margaritas and a shot of whisk, uh, shot of tequila in Yo Burrito and then started making out by the bathroom. And that's what started our second round of dating. Um, I remember hosting trivia at Yo Burrito, and then we would go into the back and shotgun beers with the kitchen. I put on a comedy show one time at Yo Burrito, and Yo Burrito was also the place that I had my last drink. I had my last beer in Yo Burrito. And, uh, you know, so it's just great. And Theater 99 is where I got my start in comedy. So all of these places 
It was how I ended my time in Charleston. And, um, and that hand truck was a part of it. <laughs> that hand truck played a role. So I'm sad to see that hand truck go. I'm over the amount of time that I normally like to do. This has been a pretty long podcast, but I'm having a good time. I do want to read the Bible verse that I talked about. And the reason that I talk about the hand truck, though, is it's like, I just feel like sometimes I think that I give too much uh, sentimental value to something that doesn't really matter. Did that hand truck matter? No. I gave it away to Goodwill yesterday. I'll never, probably never think about it again. But also, I just think about material things that do stick with us for a long time. They do hold memories. And I think it's special. And I don't think that we should just throw every material thing away just because it no longer has value to us. It, it carries memories for us. And if they're good memories, I don't see any reason why you don't keep it. But that hand truck was in the way and it had a flat tire. And I'm not going to fix the tire. Okay. So I'm going to read these verses. This is Ecclesiastes 11. It says, Ecclesiastes 11, verse 1, Cast thy bread upon the waters, for thou shalt find it after many days. Now, I, I, I didn't understand what that meant, but often, and I don't know that this is what it means, but this is what it, how it's speaking to me. In, um, um, oftentimes in the Bible, waters can refer to people. Uh, it'll say a voice like the sound of many waters. It can refer to people. So I think of in this, cast thy bread upon the waters for thou shalt find it in many days. I'm thinking it means uh, bread as in money or food. Give your money and food to people. Help them for thou shalt find it in many days. Meaning help people because that will come back to you. Give a portion to seven and also to eight, for thou knowest not what evil shall be upon the earth. If the clouds be full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. And if a tree fall towards the south or towards the north, in that place where the tree falleth, there it shall be. To me, that's saying, uh, all of these verses are saying, give stuff to people, be generous, share what you have, because you are that tree, and when you fall, that's where you'll lay, unless people are there to help you up. And I think about myself with, uh, with the appendix. I mean, laying in the hospital, you feel like a tree that's fallen, and people came to my aid, people came to help me, and it made me really appreciative of community and, and, uh, cause community is not something I've always had. And it's, um, I just think that those three verses mean something to me today. As it, as I read it, it's like, be generous, help people because you don't know when you're going to need help from people. You're up today, but you may be down tomorrow. And who did you help while you were up? And I just thought the whole, uh, whole chapter 11 is really great. Um, I thought this was good. This is four. He that observeth the wind shall not sow. He that regardeth the clouds shall not reap. I think that means if you go out and you're like, oh, the, you know, I, I'm not going to do this because I know it's not going to produce anything. Or I'm not going to do this because uh, it's not going to work out. It's not going to be good. And it's saying if you don't do it, you never, if you don't, if you never sow, 
You're never going to reap. Don't pretend that you know what the future is because you don't. Uh, As thou knowest not what is the way of the spirit, nor how the bones do grow in the womb of her that is with child, even so thou knowest not the works of God who maketh all. To me, that says God gives us everything. God creates everything. So we, as limited uh, beings and of small mindsets, we don't know the ways of God. We don't know what God has in store. So let's not pretend like we know the future. In the morning, sow thy seed, and then the evening, withhold not thy hand. For thou knowest not whether thou shalt prosper, either this or that, or whether they both shall be alike good. Now, I don't know that I understand all of that, but I just think it means we don't know what's in store. So sow thy seed because you don't know what those seeds are going to bring. And I think that can even apply to spreading the gospel or just spreading charity. It's like you may speak to someone about about God, about Jesus, and, and they don't receive it, but you don't know what kind of seed you might have planted in them. Truly the light is sweet and a pleasant thing it is for us. Oh, okay, I can't read. Truly the light is sweet and a pleasant thing it is for the eyes to behold the sun. And I think that's so true. I mean, I can't, when I wake up and I look out and it's blue skies and a sunny day, I'm like, wow, what a beautiful day. But if a man live many years and rejoice in them all, let him remember the days of darkness for they shall be many. All that cometh is vanity. I just think, man, there's going to be beautiful days. There's going to be bad days. There's going to be days of darkness. And the Bible says there will be many, but hey, Remember the days of light because there's going to be days of darkness. Rejoice, O young man, in thy youth, and let thy heart cheer thee in the days of thy youth, and walk in the ways of thine heart and in the sight of thine eyes. But know thou that for all these things God will bring thee into judgment. Therefore, remove sorrow from thy heart and put away evil from thy flesh, for childhood and youth are vanity." And I think that means cherish the youth, be youthful while you're youth, but, but know you got to grow up and you're going to be judged for the things that you do on this earth. So do good things, spread joy, be nice to people, help them. Even if you're not a religious person, pray because prayer is meditation. Prayer, when, when you pray and don't talk, you're meditating. Just sit in the presence of God you will sin. You, you are a sinner. You will be a sinner. But try not to. You know what I mean? Try not to be. I've had a great time here today. I appreciate you guys listening to me. I hope you've enjoyed the podcast. We're having a good time.